Turn with me to the scriptures, please, to John's Gospel, chapter 19. John's Gospel, chapter 19. And let's just read the first seven verses again. We will be looking at quite a few other scriptures, but let's just look at this first of all. John's Gospel, chapter 19, beginning to read it, verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. The soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law. And by our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Father, we ask you, Lord, that you would now settle us under the sound of your own word. Settle us in your presence. We ask you, God, that you would speak and deal with all of our hearts. Whatever way, Lord, you deem it fit and see it, we pray in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Father, that you would move, that the Spirit of God would touch every single one of us. Some of us, Lord, are, are weak in faith, and some of us are maybe down and need a lift and an encouragement. Some of us are maybe ill in body and need a, a touch from the Master's hand. Some of us need an infilling of the Spirit, Lord, and some of us need instruction and guidance. And we pray, Father, in whatever way you deem it fit to do, Lord, we pray that you would meet everyone. And that Christ would be exalted and glorified in everything that is done this evening. Take my clay lips and my frailty and my inabilities, Lord. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, to help me. Help me, Lord, to rightly divide the word of truth. And help me to break the bread of life. That we may feast at your table tonight and eat rich to the glory of your name. Amen. Last week we spoke on the title, The Glory of the Crown of Thorns. The Glory of the Crown of Thorns. And tonight we're, we'll do a short recap, but then we want to go on to our next part of this. We want to look at the crown of thorns or the, glo the glory of the crown of thorns and the crowns of glory for the saints. Because Christ wore the crown of thorns, because the Lord Jesus Christ bore them on his own head. And we looked last week how the thorn was the symbol from uh, the very fall to death of Adam when he rebelled against God. And that, uh, that dirt, that ground, that earth that Adam was made from was cursed. And we go back to that and we rot in the ground, as it were, when we die. 
And that curse was born by our Lord Jesus Christ. And while others were mocking him, and while others were making fun of him, and while they were trying to degrade our Lord, little did they know they were passing curse and judgment upon themselves at the rejection of Christ. And plotting the crown of thorns and Driving it into his beautiful brow, we find that these men, as they were thinking, taking charge and taking control of a situation that had happened in Jerusalem, really they were out of control and they were never in charge. Uh, that the Father had sent his Son on purpose to the cross that he may bear your sins and mine. That his Father sent him that we would be uh, forgiven of our sins and washed in his blood. The, those who would repent and come under the fountain of blood. Notice this. It says in verse chapter 19 and verse 1, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Imagine a man of sinful hands. Imagine a man with pagan ideologies and ideas. Imagine a man whose breath is in his nostrils taking the very diadem of heaven itself in the person of Christ, taking the very jewel of the Father's crown, the Lord Jesus Christ, and holding him and pronouncing judgment of a scourging in him. Can you imagine then, as it says, the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail the King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Notice, frail man, frail man who will go to the curse of the ground and the earth from whence he's made and came from, now we find he uses the frailty of the cursed hand to slap the face and to buffet the cheek of the beautiful Savior, the Son of God. What crass, what crass work from a sinful man who deserves nothing but judgment, deserves nothing but hell, to be even allowed to come near the very star of Jacob, he who is from Abraham's loins, he who will sit on the throne of David. Now he is before these men, and he is allowing them. Friend, don't get, it wrong, get this wrong now. There's never once that Christ was out of control. There's never once in all of this that happened to him that he was never fully in charge of all that was going on. He freely, he voluntarily gave up himself that he might go through all of this and go to the cross. He had, as it were, a race to run that you and I could be brought in. He had a fight to go through to give himself over that he might shed his blood and die for us. They plotted a crown of thorns and they smote him with their hands and Pilate brings him forth to the crown. Behold the man. We looked at it last week with a shock and awe and amazement and an astonishment. Look at the state. And I said with reverence that the specimen of this man who's covered in blood, bloodied and battered and beaten, will you look at him? Pilate even now is trying to realize that this man has had enough but yet they cried for him to be crucified. And as we looked at it last week, we're told in verse 7, after they called for his crucifixion, in verse 6, the Jews answered, answered him, we have a law. You see how the law brings forth death? 
You see, everything that Christ was doing was fulfilling what the law entailed. And everything that Christ was going to do was a fulfillment of his Father's will. And they're saying, we have a law. Yeah, they had many laws. And they have many laws that it's man's traditions of laws. But the law of God was completely different. And yet he fulfilled every jot and every tittle. And he went all the way to Calvary's tree, to Golgotha, the place of the skull, where there he would allow men, the frail men, sinful men, to take him hand and foot and nail him to an old rugged tree. There he would bleed and die for a frail sinner, for a guilty, hell-deserving sinner like the one you're listening to this evening who has afforded the privilege to bring you his word. What a savior. What a Christ. The idea of this is not to see a preacher, but to see the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, the Son. You see, there was an old preacher, D.L. Moody, came over in the 1800s and he went to hear Joseph Parker in London. And with his great oratory of speech, Joseph Parker was well known for this sort of style. And he was a soul winner and he was a great man of God, as it were. And he heard uh, Joseph Parker preaching. And the man who brought D.L. Moody to hear him on, on the way home that afternoon before the evening service, he says, well, Mr. Moody, what think ye of the preacher this morning in D.L. Moody giving an accolade to Joseph Parker said this, what a preacher, what a preacher, oh, what a preacher. That night he goes to the Elephant and Castle area of London and he, he hears Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And when Spurgeon is preaching the word of God afterwards, D.L. Moody is taken by his friend and he's taken out again and they're going home and as they're traveling home, he says, well, Mr. Moody, what think ye of the preacher this evening? Speaking of George Haddon Spurgeon, what think ye of the preacher this evening? And D.L. Moody turns around to his friend and he replies, what a Christ. What a Christ. What a Christ. Oh, friend, don't hear a preacher, but you should be hearing what a Christ. It's what a Christ. In all things it should be, what a Christ. You see, here we find that Pilate, he answers the Jews in their cry for crucifixion and the law and orders his crucifixion. Jesus goes forth wearing the crown of thorns and there's great glory in it because there he bore the very curse that was yours and mine. That when you and I would die, we would be without Christ, without hope in the world. We would be standing in a place of judgment. And, and when we go, out, that is, to the ground, our bodies would, as it were, rot there until that time when all of us, body, soul, and spirit, would be cast into a lake of fire of Revelation chapter 20. What hope is there for man but none? Because the ground was cursed, we're murdered of the curse. And because we are now cursed, we're breaking the law. We cannot keep it. It's because of the curse of Adam from the very beginning. And so when we die, the curse remains in our mortal members. And the curse remains upon these bodies. And the curse remains in the soul. None could save us. And none could certainly save themselves. So he came. He took on the form of flesh and he brought 
the end of the curse. He fulfilled the law. And there he paid our debt. So when they drove a crown of thorns into his brow, they drove a curse into one who was sinless, spotless, harmless, who was undefiled, separate from sinners. And they drove the sign of the curse right into his brow. Listen, I'm so glad that the Father ordered it so. Pilate and the Jews could have cried it, but he had it already ordained that he was coming for somebody like me. Isn't it wonderful? He is the impeccable Son of God. Now you might say, well, what's the difference between sinless and impeccable? Well, sinless was he did no sin, he knew no sin, he was yet without sin, he had no sin. He was spotless. Not one blemish was upon him, nor in him, nor came came from him. He was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. But he's the impeccable Son of God. You know what that means? Because he is the Almighty. Because he is God, wrapped, veiled, clothed, manifested in the flesh, robed in the the very humanity that you and I had in the likeness, not in sinful flesh, but the likeness of sinful flesh. Because of that, he is the Almighty. In this body, he could not sin. He's impeccable. Impeccable Son of God. He was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet Without sin, he never sinned once. Not in word, not in deed, not in action, not in thought, not in speech. Never did he sin once until now he takes on the sin of Ken Davidson and every one of us here tonight. And they drive it into his head. And now he goes forth with the symbolized curse upon his head. And he hangs on the tree. And as Peter says, that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins might be made the righteousness of God in him. To think that you and I were dead in our sins, that curse through Adam, the ground was cursed because of him, because of that curse that was in Adam's genealogy and in Adam's genes, because of Adam's germs, you and I received them. And because of it, you and I are dead in trespasses and in sins. But glory to God. And Ephesians chapter 2 says, through the Holy Ghost, after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Son of God, it says, and you, church, hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. I'm alive unto God tonight. The word quickened is the word zopoio. And it means he made you alive again. (laughs) Whoa, we're like sheep gone astray. We were lost, you see. And he called us back into the way. And this is what he did. He quickened us in the deadness of our spirits and of our hearts. The men and the women who knew not God nor desired anything of him, he hath quickened us that we might behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And there we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Isn't he a wonderful Savior? Look, folks, you know me. I can't help getting excited about Jesus. I can't help it. Listen, I'm not going to help it either. I'm just going to enjoy it. Here's the thing. Jesus went bearing 
the crown of thorns to Calvary. And there he shed his blood and died. And you know, he gives us a song as a, we're placed in a place of authority, the overcoming church, the redeemed bride. And we find it in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Listen to what the throng cry unto him. This is what we'll be crying in eternity. This is a song of the redeemed. This is a song of the saved, the song of the blood-washed and the blood-bought, the song of those with gratitude in our hearts that Christ has borne it all. Unto him that hath loved us and washed us from our sins, listen, in his own blood. Do you know the blood rings throughout eternity? Do you know the blood still speaks in the glory of the Father? Oh, but it's an earthly thing. Yes, but the blood of Jesus is a precious thing. It's so precious the Father will never forget the blood. And in fact, it's the only thing you'll ever recognize for your salvation. The blood of Jesus. Here, we'll be crying unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Notice, and hath made us. He washed us. Now he's made us. Loved us. Washed us. Made us. He's loved us, he's washed us, and now he's made us. Listen, I told him this morning, and I'll tell you again, he's not done with you yet. Hang tight. He's still working on you, and he will complete that, and he will perform that which he's promised. You see, he loved us. We love him because he first loved us. He loved us and manifested his love by dying for us. He washed us on the cross of Calvary. Manifests love on the cross. Now here we have uh, the, uh, the washing through the blood of his cross. And now we're into the third part of this. And it is, he hath made us <laughs> kings. You're looking at royalty tonight. A rotten, filthy, no good, low down sinner. I was lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. And here he comes and gets into the pit and digs me out from my sin and my debauchery and you from yours. And he says, I'm making you to be more like him. You're going to be more like Jesus. Kings and priests unto our God. Oh, yes. He's loved us. He's washed us and he's made us. So Jesus goes forth bearing a crown of thorns in John 19. It's mentioned, the crown is mentioned in verses 2 and verse 5. It's the word Stephanos, and it mean, gives the idea of a victor's crown. Hey, let's plant this on him, and we'll plant this deep into his brow, and when the blood pours out, we'll make fun of him, and we'll smote him, we'll smite him with our hands, and we'll, we'll beat him uh, with the palms, and we'll take greaves, and we'll whack him with it over his head, and we'll pull out his beard, we'll put a robe on him, and we'll say, who's the king now, Jesus? Who's the king now? Oh, the hearts of men and women that are still alive this very moment, and in our society, and in our nation, are still doing the same at the mockery of the Son of God, but all the while it does not diminish his authority and his kingship of glory. He's always the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Yes, it means a victor's crown. It is a symbol of triumph in the games 
It was a reward or a prize. It is a token of public honor. They thought it was public disgrace. For me, when I see Calvary, and I read about it in the Scriptures, and the Holy Ghost shows me, as it were, the Lord Jesus Christ, the blessed Son, the Lamb of God, I don't see anything like a defeat. All I see is the victor's crown. All I see is glory. Through all the glory, there is the glory. Because Jesus has done it all. It means it was given for a distinguished service and military prowess or prowess. You see, what distinguished service Christ gave. There's none like him. He is the suffering servant. You see, there's none like him because he laid down his life that you and I might live. You see, there's none like him. What distinguished service is better than the one who carried his own cross after a whipping on his back where his very back was lacerated with bone and iron, with maybe even his entrails showing through the deep cuts of the flesh wounds. What other, what other distinguished service is there but none? But none. When they plotted a crown of thorns on his head, <laughs> what they were saying was, oh, we'll make fun of you. But what he was saying all along was, I'm just doing as my father sent me. <laughs> and you know what? You're just playing right along. You see, the devil is God's ape. <laughs> and that's all he is. The devil is God's ape. So we want to briefly look at some of the uh, the very glory of the saints' crowns because of his crown. <laughs> that which he did, now we receive. Now we tend to think when we sing, he that believeth hath everlasting life. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to walk all around. I'm going to sit by my Savior. I'm going to put on my crown. And that's fine. I've, I've, I've we understand the symbolism, don't we? That's fine. That's okay. But the crowns aren't really that at all. <laughs> it's what he has accomplished and it's given to us. And listen, some of you are even wearing them right now and you don't even know it. <laughs> you don't even know it. Let's look at some of these. There are five crowns. First of all, will you turn with me to 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians, please, chapter 9. 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, please. And you can get ready to mark these down and study them. Each one of these crowns would do to have these uh, even a single night to preach on each one of them or to teach on each one. But let's, these are just a summary. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, please. And let your eye run down to verse 24. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run ye that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we are incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring into, sub, into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul is speaking here of the crown, which is incorruptible. And what is that crown that is incorruptible? But at the time of the second coming of Christ, the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the air. And we shall be changed in the moment. Not caught up and raptured in a moment, everybody, boom, and off they go. It doesn't say that in Scripture. It says we shall be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. There's nowhere in Scripture says we'll all be raptured up together. Nowhere. It says we will be translated and caught up, but we will be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. And there's nowhere in Scripture says it's secret but the den are. In fact, the graves will open in Guildford. And there'll be graves open in Donna Cloney, where I live. There'll be graves open where you all live. And those who have died knowing Christ will rise first. There'll be the sound of the archangel and the trump of God. There's nothing secret about it. Then we which are alive. That means if you're living, you'll see it, and we will be caught up again. That's what the Scripture says, not me. Notice this, the Stephanos that you will receive is the change of the body. Just think about it. No more pain. No more cancer. No more tumors. No more tiredness. No more diabetes. No more mental illness. No more. We could add and add to it. And, and I know there's some of you in the medical profession, and there's some nurses here, and maybe doctors and so on, and, 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 and we love you and we need you. We appreciate you. But you're going to be out of a job. It's all right. If you're in Christ, he'll have something for you in the kingdom. We're going to be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. What a crown. <laughs> to think that this body of mine, coming years of age. <laughs> Did anybody hear that? <laughs> coming 52. Some younger, some older. Imagine. And I'm, I, I was getting talking to Daniel and Paul in the car park this morning. And I was standing that long, opened the door, and I went to get into the car. And I, and I felt everything going, <laughs> no more. We will be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. No more addictions. There'll be no more draw of sin. There'll be no more struggling with the things that people struggle with. There'll be no more struggle with whether or not that we want to go and run on with God because those who are in this race are striving for masteries and they are the faithful in God caught up at the first resurrection. At the first resurrection. Now that's a crown. You know how you can get that? Because Jesus bore the crown of thorns. And he said, see all this curse and all this old death and all this old sickness? 
I'm going to go, Father, and I'm going to just take it all for them. The crown of thorns. Secondly, if you turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy and chapter 4. And as your eye run down, please, just to... Verse 6. He says, For I am now ready to be offered, and, my, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Can you say that tonight? You've kept the faith. You've went on with God. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all those, all them also that love his appearing. Here again, Paul mentions something very precious, that again at the end of our struggles, at the end of our striving as the last, Reading said before the word for for striving, uh, uh, striving who strives for masteries. It's the word anakanazo. I think that's the proper pronunciation, and that's where we get our words to agonize. And and here, this crown of righteousness is this: that because he bore the crown of thorns, because he was nailed to the tree, and because he shed his precious blood, and because you've repented, and you've been saved, and you've been born again, and you've been blood-washed, and you're blood-bought, because of that, then what he did was he takes his righteousness, you know the sinless, holy, harmless, impeccable, Son of God, who did no sin, you no sin, was yet without sin. You're the same Lord Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead as he carried our sin away in his own body on the tree. That same Lord's righteousness is now upon you. <laughs> Do you know, in every part of me, and in this flesh body where I let him down all the time, and as we went through it this morning, and I'll do it again, but I, I'm so, uh, I hate my fleshy carnal nature. I hate it. And that's what's going to be changed. But I can tell you now, as my Father in heaven looks at me, even with my impurities and with my weaknesses and even in my faults, he looks at me through the blood of his Son. He sees me through what his Son has done and accomplished on Calvary's tree. And he sees you too. And he sees you righteous. <laughs> if you're saved. He sees you righteous. Oh, there's a crown of righteousness. And my Father declares me. In other words, he decrees throughout heaven. Not because of me. In spite of me. Despite all that I am and all I have done. In spite of me, he declares throughout all of eternity and all of glory and throughout heaven and among the abode of the angels at this moment in time. He says, Ken Davidson, he is righteous. Because he looks at the blood of his son. Wow. 
What a crown. Now, see, when I get to heaven, going to walk all around, however, going to sit by my Savior and throw down my crown, I'll tell you what, it's nice to say, and I've said it, and we're going to take it off and throw it at your feet, because he does deserve it. But this is a crown that you're not going to get rid of. Because it's not a literal crown on your head. You know what it is? He's crowned you with the righteousness of his son. See, as I love him, now I can, Davidson, I love you. I can't get my head around that sometimes. I can't understand it. But when the resurrection, when we will be changed, the whole redemption, the full salvation, that is of the body, that cursed thing that's went to the ground that was cursed in Adam, Genesis chapter 3, that's going to rise incorruptible. And the righteousness will be complete in me. If you turn with me as well now to the third one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And let your eye run down, please, to verse 19. For what is our hope or joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy, Paul says. Notice, here we have a crown of rejoicing. First one is an incorruptible crown. The second one is a crown of righteousness. Now we have a crown of rejoicing. Let me give you an idea in this word rejoicing. For example, in Uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. We'll not turn to it for time's sake, but you can read it. And that's the the, the chapter of lost things. We have the the lost sheep, and we have the lost silver, and we have the lost son. The sheep, the silver, the son. All lost. Uh, And the lost son, of course, is the parable of the prodigal son. But remember, the the shepherd goes out, and, and he finds his one missing sheep. And we're told in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, that he, he takes the little sheep and he, he lifts it up, as it were, from wherever he finds it, and places it over his shoulder. And he takes it and he says to his friend, says in verse 5, and when he hath found it, he left it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Notice, he has the sheep. It's safe, it's sound, it's with him. The shepherd is rejoicing. And he says, rejoice with me, for I'll find my sheep, paraphrasing for time's sake. Paul is saying, you know, the Lord has given me a ministry. And it's a ministry to reach the lost. And it's a wonderful ministry to serve him. Friend, I can tell you, the greatest thing that you can do is to serve the Lord. I can tell you, at times it can be the hardest thing. (laughs) At times you're going to sit and say, you know, I don't want to do this. You can say, Lord, would you get somebody else? Lord, what do you want me to do this for? Yes, 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 I've said it a million times, but nevertheless, I can't get away from it because it's what he's called me to do, and I've no choice in it. I've no choice. I've wanted to run a million times. Run away a million times, but God won't let me. Well, in the secular, you can change jobs. I'm going for a new job. But in the calling of God and in the ministry where God ministers, no, you can't. Until he gives you leave. 
until he gives you leave. The idea here is that he has the sheep secure, now rejoicing. You see, there's a security in the saints or off the saints. Secured in Christ, held by the shepherd, loved by him. And do you realize that your Savior, he rejoices over you? Imagine Jesus rejoicing over you, Ken. What on earth has he got to rejoice over? You know what? I don't know. And I don't really care in that sense because I'm just glad he does. And the idea is he carries the sheep. Paul says, listen, to the believers, he says, you have gone on and gone on in faith. You who have been saved and come under the blood, you have went through trial and trouble and tribulation and heartache and headache, and you've went on and on in God, and you've continued on in him. He says, you are my crown of rejoicing. See, every little child, whether Sunday school or children's meetings or youth or ladies' meetings, or rapping a door, reaching someone for Christ, or somebody in work, or wherever you are, whatever you do, whatever your ministry is, even you're praying for someone, or you meet someone, say, let me help you, and you bring them to Christ. Every one of them is your crown of rejoicing. You can't do that, and you couldn't do that unless he wore a crown of thorns. You see, let's go to our fourth one for time's sake. First Peter chapter five and verse four, please. First Peter chapter five and verse four. Again, notice all of these are linked into the coming of the Lord. Do you notice that? Every one of them in their fullness, that is. We're righteous positionally now, but we will be righteous when we change with his coming. Every one of them are linked to the second coming of Christ. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. How do we even begin to understand this? What do I say to you tonight that I can tell you something that this, what this means, a crown of glory? What glory does the believer, the saint, the blood wash, what do we, what glory do we deserve but none? Was we, were we not saying, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power or wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection? We have no glory. Yet grace finds us to such an extent where he lets us share his. Isn't that wonderful? Everything that he has done, everything that he has accomplished, Everything which Christ hath fulfilled, it's his glory. But he says, you know, I love you so much. I'm going to share it with you. 
will share it with you. His glory he gives not to another, but he shares and allows us to partake. There's a difference. There is a difference. If we could notice this for a moment, let us just talk about his grace and love that enables him or, or to share his glory with us. First John, please. First John chapter 4. <clears throat> All goes back to the cross in this verse 9. And this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Propitiation, what does it mean? It simply means the mercy seat. Propitiation. On that Ark of the Covenant was the lid the golden covenant in the tabernacle and in the temple then was that lid. That was called the lid or the covering lid or the propitiation. That was called the, the mercy seat. That lid was the mercy seat. There were the two cherubim touching wing to wing and there God says, I will meet with you there and I will talk to you there. I'll give you an example of propitiation. Some of you might have heard me say it before, but I'll say it again. So you're standing at a, a big dam full of water, right at the very bottom of the dam, maybe like the Hoover Dam, if you know the picture of it, the big concrete wall, say. But imagine it being 1,000 miles long that way from where you're standing and 1,000 miles long this way from where you're standing. Imagine it being so wide or more. And there you're right at the bottom and that great big wall is stretching up. Imagine it being 100 meters, 200 meters, 300 meters high, whatever height you want to go. Imagine the size of it and suddenly you're there with this a great big wall, a thousand miles each way, and behind it, the trillions upon trillions of gallons of water, and there stands you all on your own, and suddenly a crack comes into that dam, and you see it starting to buckle and to bend like this, and the water starts to get ready to gush out. And there you stand, and you say, well, I'll run to the left, but it's too far, and I've no chance of getting away. And I'll run to the right, and it's too far. I've no chance of getting away, but I'll turn and go away backwards, but but you know you'll never outrun it. You know in your heart that you're doomed, you're damned, and you're done for. Suddenly, bam, out it comes. And this magnificent tidal wave comes crashing down before you, and all you can do is stand and await the very damnation of that judgment. And suddenly there's a big chasm opens up in the ground. Stretches like a yawning gap. And every bit of water pours down before you 
every single droplet, every pint, every liter, every gallon, every part of it goes down this chasm. And as you're standing at the very edge of it, not one single little droplet falls upon your shoe. You're saved. That's propitiation. At the cross, Jesus cried, Eloi, Eloi, Lama, Sabachthani, which being interpreted as, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The sky turning black, the judgment of God with your curse and mine with your sin, and mine upon him with his crown of thorns. There he hangs between heaven and earth. And every part of that is poured out upon the Son of God. And not a droplet of the judgment of those waters comes upon your soul. Now that's propitiation. That's propitiation. And we find here the crown of glory is this that the one who left glory to become flesh, to hang there and bear that curse, to take the full punishment, the full wrath, the full anger, the justice of God was met. How can God be just? How can God be just and and let a sinner into glory after kicking out the devil? How can God be justified in in letting someone like me and who I am in my flesh and and who I was before I got saved? How could God ever be justified? He has to work it out. He has to find a way. And what does he do? Well, simple then, isn't it? (laughs) He sends his son. And it was all meted out in him. You see, sin must be paid for. And Jesus took it all. Jesus bore it all, and Jesus paid it all. And I can't work it out, but here's the crowning glory of it. He raises his son from the dead, and he's ascended into heaven. He's glorified at the right hand of the majesty, the power of high. He's sitting in the place of authority, and he says for some reason, Ken Davidson, I done it for you. Aaron Wilkins, Anzal Wilkins, I can go on, I can go on. I've done it for you, and I've done it for you, and I've done it for you, and I'm going to share my glory with you. Keep going on in me, and I'm going to make you the king and priest, the rule and reign and glory. What a saviour, brothers and sisters. The crown of glory. There's one little scripture just before we move from this one. If you turn to it, Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62 and verse 3, please. Uh, You can read it all, and the Lord is saying that he would send uh, the glory of Jerusalem or Zion, Israel, to go out and be a brightness as a salvation lamp to the Gentiles or to the other nations, to be called by a new name. Of course, we bear the name of Christ, don't we? The new name. 
And it says in verse 3, Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, <laughs> and the royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Can I tell you something, Christian? I can tell you something. I believe that Jesus is coming back again. And now all that we have spoken about is going to happen. I believe he's coming and his feet's going to stand upon the Mount of Olives. And I'm telling you, Islam can bar it up and put graveyards there and do all they want to do. <laughs> Listen, the king is coming. And those of us, that's you and I who are saved, we're not only his recurring of rejoicing, but in this life, we are like a diadem of beauty that he will bring with him. Last one. James chapter 1 and verse 12, please. I've tried to do them more chronological and uh, make it easier to go through the scripture, but they're around about the same place. James chapter 1 and verse 12, please. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Do you love him? I mean, do you really love him? Surely after all of this, is he not worth loving? Is Christ not worth your life? He takes you from death. You were dead in trespasses and sins. And the word, you hath he quickened. You were dead in, from Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he, in verse 1, hath he quickened. who were dead in trespasses and sin. The word zopoyo means he brings back to life. It, it, it gives the word to reanimate. You know the animation when you draw a wee man and he's a wee stick man. And then you draw the next page and he's a leg like that. And then the arm like this and he's walking. Next thing. And you flick it and he starts to look like he's walking. The wee, uh, you know the wee stick man. It's called animation. When you see an Adam used to walk with him in the cool of the day. Animated unto God. <laughs> Listening to the word. Adam of all the trees of the garden I must freely eat thereof. But of the tree of knowledge which is in the midst of the garden of good and evil thou shalt not eat us thereof. For on the day which thou eat us thereof I shall surely die. And there's people trying to work around that now to, to be able to say, well, you know, we can organize our sin. Listen, see when Adam sinned, he died. Death came upon us all. The animation with God was gone. In Adam, all die. But in Christ shall all be made alive. Here the Holy Ghost comes and quickens us, reanimates us, causes us to live from our death to behold the Lamb of God, that we might have that relationship with Christ again. It's called a crown of life. See, from I got saved. Listen, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in an anomaly, Protestant, Presbyterian home. And not one of us were saved. <laughs> not one of us. 
Because your name's on the church roll or register doesn't mean to say it's in the roll and glory. Do you know that? Doesn't matter what denomination you're from. And here we have a man like me growing up without Christ. See, when I first got saved, and this is the truth, I started reading the Bible and someone says, start from the New Testament. So I read Matthew. And then I read Mark. And then I read Luke, and I stopped, and I had to go to a minister one time and bumped into him, and I said, is there a few mistakes in that? He says, what do you mean? I said, some of the things I've read in Matthew, I've read them in Mark, and I've read them in Luke, and I didn't know. I didn't know that they were synoptic. I'd never heard of it before. I thought it was a mistake. Has it been a, a print, printed wrong? Somebody who knew nothing about Christ, who wanted nothing to do with Christ, who could sin willfully and without any guilt, who got up to things that I can't even tell you about, and even those things I felt nothing wrong about it, who hurt and thought no ill after it. You know why? Because I was dead. But the Holy Ghost came. Made me alive. And the Holy Ghost says, Son, that's wrong. This is right. Here is the way walking in it. So the five crowns are these an incorruptible crown crown of righteousness a crown of rejoicing a crown of glory and a crown of life turn to Revelation 4 just going to read a scripture and this is what we'll do in a sense Revelation chapter 4 and let your eye run down to verse 10 And the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat at the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, for thy pleasure they are. Were created. Now, Ken, did you not contradict yourself? Because how do we cast those crowns down? Read the verse 10 again. They cast themselves down. They cast themselves down. And when I come, it's like that woman, that sinner that came. And we get in a tizzy about our hats, whether we wear them or not. Listen, she let down her hair before the Savior. And she wiped his feet with her glory. Jesus, you have given me all of these crowns. I cast them before you, O God. And I lie prostrate at the feet of the Savior. For Jesus, thou art worthy. How dare feeble man come to slap his face? How dare they 
come to mock him. For one day, they too will stand before the same Christ. And that Christ will not be their saviour, but he will be their judge. I trust we're saved tonight. Christian, if you were maybe waning tonight, I trust you're encouraged tonight. If you came in weak, I trust you're strengthened tonight. And if you just came looking to hear the word of God, I trust you've heard something to satisfy your soul and to feed you tonight. But listen, it's not about the preacher. What a Christ. What a Christ.